everybody. Welcome back to another issue of Direct Connect. I am honored to have with me on uh, this edition, Stacey Bressler, Leonard Chamberlain, otherwise known as the Dark Lord of the Sip. Welcome, gentlemen. Today, we are going to discuss comments made by FERC. Uh, no offense to any FERC staffers or commissioners, of course. I, I don't speak for the commission, nor do I speak against the commission. Um, but they did make some comments in their 2023 report on lessons learned from audits, uh, one in particular that stood out that we wanted to talk about today, dealing with supply chain. Um, so those of you uh, who are involved in this world obviously should be familiar with SIP 13 supply chain. One of the big questions that has come up uh, during the implementation rollout of this is scoping for pre-existing vendor relationships. And question that has come up is, if you had a contract in place prior to the implementation of SIP 13, what are your obligations under the requirements for purchases happening against that contract that happen after the effective date? Um, and with that, I'll open it up to either Stacy or Leonard, either or both of you, uh, to weigh in on your thoughts on that topic. Well, first, I want to just point out um, that the standards specifically say, you know, previous I I contracts that are in play do not need to be renegotiated. So that, there's a clear statement, you know, within that standard, if you have a grandfathered uh, contract, you don't have to go renegotiate that contract. I'd also like to point out that the requirements, R1 and R2, R2 being implementation, but R1's the, the bulk of it, doesn't say anything about renegotiating contracts or putting contractual uh, language in there. That is just an option for mitigating risk. It's not something that says in the requirements itself that you have to do. So I just wanted to point that out to start things off. Excellent point, Stacy. Um, yeah, I agree. Let's let's talk about the standard first before we get into FERC's comments. Um, as you pointed out, yeah, the, the comment regarding uh, renegotiating or abrogating existing contracts is a, a specifically a note in requirement two. Um, and the context of that is implementation of the plan does not require you to renegotiate those contracts. So to your point, yeah, the bulk of what you, your supply chain risk management plan has to do is, is under R1. Again, says nothing about contractual language. Um, presumably the assumption there is, yeah, with R1.2, you know, those six things that you're <clears throat> trying to get you know your vendor to to help you comply with that contractual language will be required to to ensure that the vendor follows through um you know on their part of that um but that implementation the, the, the curious part about that leonard is even in that note it additionally says that it's out of scope of ensuring that your um your vendors are compliant so the auditors can't come in and even ding you if they're not following the contract so yep. to me that basically says the contract's out of play for the sip 13 standard specifically yet that's not what we see in industry now is it no not at all <laughs> no and that's very interesting because you almost hear everyone saying we have to use you know additional procurement language additional procurement language and the contract renegotiations have to happen, you know, when, when that time comes up. Um, but that brings us to the interesting part of the lessons learned, right? 
um, the, spe the specifics that FERC were talking about were that the contract, if it's grandfathered, they're agreeing that you don't have to go do the renegotiation, but they added a, a nuance, which R1 is about performing a risk assessment of your acquisitions on the planning of, of procuring products and services. So here we are, the lessons learned are saying, well, that's out of scope. R1 is out of scope if you have a grandfathered contract, which is very interesting. I mean, to me, what does that mean? If I'm using basically in my operations, I have contracts with decades old, with Cisco, with SEL, with GE, with ABB, whatever, I'm not renegotiating those in hardly ever. Those are just add-on purchases. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm overthinking this. What do you guys think? Well, let's let's look at the actual language uh, <clears throat> that that FERC used, and, and I want to break it down. It's possible that they uh, were misreading their intent, or they misstated uh, their intent. Um, what the, what they said is, while purchases that fall under contracts that existed prior to the implementation of SIP 13-1 fall outside the scope of this requirement, dot, dot, dot. So there's, they're saying that purchases that fall under contracts. So in the, in the standard or in the implementation plan, it said that the, the only purchases that are in scope are those that are initiated after the effective date. So are they equating having a contract in place with initiating the purchase? So, you know, my take had always been, you may have a contract in place, but you may initiate a new purchase after the effective date. There could be master service agreements in place and you issue a new statement of work, scope of work against that MSA um, and, and other things. So did they really mean to say that? Or do they mean that you just don't have to renegotiate contracts and that aspect is out of scope, but you should still do the risk assessment. I don't, I don't know that it's entirely clear. I, I agree, Steve. I, I think they've um, not been clear on this. Um, to your point, yeah, the risk assessment, the way I read the language, is still required independent of contractual language when it was established. Those purchases occur, you know, after the effective date of, this, of the SIP 13 standard, then they should be going through that risk assessment in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, my my interpretation of R1, and I think that's been an interpretation of all the auditors and the way the industry actually has been managing this mostly, is that they expect to be doing risk assessments regardless of the state of the contract itself. And uh, so this this the way that FERC worded that, I think they may have not thought that through, or they misunderstand uh, how contracts are done in the utility space uh, with the master service agreement approach. Um, what I'm seeing in a lot of uh, the SIP 13 plans is they're identifying what a contract means. And they're saying a contract includes any agreements or master service agreements or, or a variety of different um, you know, um, mechanisms by which a, a contract can be put in place. It's not a simple, here's a list of terms and conditions, and you're signing that. You're not doing that for every purchase. And maybe that's a misunderstanding overall at FERC that thinks that every time I do a planned purchase, I'm creating a new terms and conditions, and that's just not the case. Yeah, I'm reading, reading some verbiage here from the Lessons Learned report. Uh, while entities are not required by reliability standard SIP 13-1 to renegotiate or abrogate existing contracts, including amendments to master agreements and purchase orders, entities should consider applying their supply chain risk management plans 
to their existing vendors to ensure that they are appropriately identifying and addressing supply chain risks applicable to their operations. Uh, failure to identify and assess risks uh, can impact the reliable operation of the BES. Um, so again, I think FERC is recognizing there's, there's risk here, but again, um, you know, saying in a lessons learned report that entities should consider applying their risk management plans to those existing vendors, um, I can count the number of entities on zero fingers that will probably take heed of that. At least from a mandatory compliance perspective, right? The, a lot of entities would go above and beyond for security, but they're obviously not going to bring that activity into their mm -hmm. compliance program and state that they are doing it from a, from a compliance compliance perspective. Um, if, I, I want to clarify, you know, FERC did say out of scope for R1, uh, not necessarily out of scope for R2, which is the implementation of the risk management plan. So, uh, you know, looking looking at that, how could uh, FERC come back and perhaps respin this, or how could regions perhaps respin this to say, hey, actually, you know, you might be out of scope for R1, but the R2, uh, the implementation of the plan and some of the risk mitigation measures could be in scope. And that seems to be what FERC is getting at. You you should still be doing the risk management. Um, could that be pulled in at R2 and made mandatory, do you think? That's that's interesting, Steve. So my thought about R2 is it, R1 in general, creating your, um, your plan is a choose-your-own-adventure approach. So if the lessons learned are indicating that R1 risk assessment, which is very clearly stated in R1, isn't obligated for any previous contracts, I'm going to write that into my plan, and then my implementation on R2 is I'm not doing the risk assessment for anything where I have an existing contract. To me, that's a loophole that may not have been thought through, you know, when, when making those statements or even writing the, the SIP 13 standard. And you know how I stand on SIP 13. I think it's a terribly written um, standard in the first place. So sorry, SDT. I know you put a lot of work into it. but. I'm telling you, industry needs more clear direction, and it's just not there in this in this standard. Well, on that point, Stacy, I think you know, going back to when this was uh, originally started, uh, it was kind of ironic that uh, Commissioner Cheryl Lafleur was the lone dissenter on the original order, and she had stated she she didn't feel it was ready for prime time yet in the in the, the order that was put out. So you know, FERC can take some of the blame. They didn't give appropriate direction to NERC. They really gave them a blank page kind of requirement and. We ended up getting a blank page kind of standard. Um, it, it is ironic that when the first round of SIP 13 was actually approved, uh, Cheryl Lafleur was the only remaining commissioner from the uh, commission that had actually issued the order to develop the standard, and she did vote in the affirmative to approve the first version. So, uh, but I think her her views in, at the foundation of this were prescient, and uh, I don't know if she's paying attention wherever she are, is now and whatever she's doing. But uh, you know, kudos she she predicted this about eight years ago, and uh, I think she was on target. It's just interesting that I think we all said that at the beginning of the SIP 13 standards, almost uh, exactly how uh, Cheryl was pointing it out, is that you know this this is not really the electric utilities problem by itself, and trying to get vendors to play ball is already hard enough. Um, we're really not moving a needle here. What I'm seeing industry doing is a bunch of paper um, pushing. It's a significant amount of paper pushing in order to demonstrate that you're implementing your plan, and you know, maybe that's that's a fault of how we started this off, you know, getting into the SIP 13 development process is we followed best practices where it doesn't even say you have to do best practices at all. It has very specific things that it expects you to address, but best practice 
is very difficult to do when you're a small, you know, potato in the overall patch of potatoes, right? You're not, you're not getting, you know, that attention that you need. We're making some strides with vendors, but I can tell you for somebody that does a lot of vendor assessments for utilities, they don't all want to play ball and they don't care. Um, there's many of them that just say, okay, great. You know, I'm the only vendor out here that has this product that does what you need to do. I don't have time for this 400 question questionnaire to fill out. So, you know, I think we kind of did it to ourselves by following some, no blame to NATF. I think uh, NATF, uh, you know, took a lead and, and attempted to build a, a, a suggestive approach, but industry just adopted that wholesale and it's become kind of a mess. Um, every utility I go to has a very big challenge on managing SIP 13 and, and a lot of it has to do with how robust they've made their, their plan. And part of that plan is often the risk assessment approach. So back to the FERC lessons learned, if they're indicating that, you know, grandfathered uh, contracts don't require the risk assessment, one, I'm not, I'm going to be advising utilities not to put that in their plan. And we're not going to be doing risk assessments and it'll make it easier for everyone. At least a, a significant less number of risk assessments. I, I do want to revisit um, the implementation guidance for SIP 13 because I think that that also kind of has an interesting angle from a FERC perspective. And, you know, as we, you know, Stacey, you were talking about, um, you know, the degree to which the NATF questionnaire, you know, truly satisfies the uh, risk-based assessment of BES cyber systems uh, for, for requirement R1. Um, you know, I think the implementation guidance is, is interesting because they essentially said that, um, you know, you can do either a system-based or a vendor-based approach, um, you know, or a combination of the two. So even the implementation guidance from NERC is suggesting that your risk assessment doesn't even need to look at the systems that you're installing. You could just look at vendors alone and um, base your, your risk assessment on that. The the justification they had for having that approach, or those you know, uh, the latitude to to pick one or the other or both, uh, they referenced FERC order uh, number eight twenty nine. Uh, they said this flexibility is important to account for the varying, uh, quoting from FERC order paragraph forty four, needs and characteristics of responsible entities and the diversity of the BCS environments, technologies, and risk. Now. I think this is, um, you know, at the risk of calling this fake news, it, it's it's not taking paragraph 44 fully into account, in my opinion, reading the full text from the FERC order. In particular, the flexibility, flexibility inherent in our directive should account for, among other things, differences in the needs and characteristics of responsible entities and the diversity of BCS environments, technologies, and risks. For example, the new or modified reliability standard may allow a responsible entity to meet the security objectives discussed below by having a plan to apply different controls based on the criticality of different assets. And by directing NERC to develop new or modified reliability standard, the commission affords NERC the option of modifying existing reliability standards to satisfy our directive. I don't know how NERC interpreted that as to say you can just look at 
vendors and not the systems that are being installed. I mean, certainly FERC is recognizing, you know, some flexibility is needed based on the different characteristics and diversity of the environments, technologies, and risks. But I don't, I don't think their intent in that paragraph was to say, you know, an option is not to even look at, you know, a risk assessment of the systems you're installing. And unfortunately, I would say the majority of the utilities doing SIP 13 are following the, what is the vendor's controls, not looking at what they're purchasing and how it's going to be implemented. They're not looking at those security risks. They're really focused on the controls that the, the utility has. And I actually use that that specific guidance that you're, you're referencing, Leonard, to argue, we'll take the, the, you know, the path of least resistance here for your regulation, focus on their internal controls. By the way, if they're Microsoft and they have a, you know, 40, wet, wet, a website with 40 pages on it about all their certificates and their their supply chain you know audits that they have that they've passed and everything that's better than anything i'm going to do from a questionnaire so to me that's due diligence and there you're done with your risk assessment because you've looked at microsoft and oh my god they got great security internally they're they're good to go uh, valid, valid point stacy i've always kind of wondered, wondered about the questionnaires because one are you, are you getting accurate answers? I, I, I won't say honest answers, accurate, because people make mistakes. I assume a vendor's not going to intentionally uh, mislead you, right? That would never happen, right? Especially uh, when you approach this from the point, it's kind of ironic because the whole the whole point of the supply chain risk program is that you don't necessarily trust your vendors, right? There, there may be vendors that are not trustworthy. So if you're relying on their responses to your questionnaire to assess risk, um, how good is that? I mean, are you going to ask a Chinese telecom company, do you allow the Chinese government to spy on us through your product? They're, of course they're going to say no. And you're like, oh, okay, see, see, they have, they're not influenced by the Chinese government. So really you can't rely solely on vendor responses. I mean, they can be useful in some, in some cases, but they're not going to be the sole source or should not be your, your sole source, another little pun there, um, of, of your risk assessments. Um, and as you point out, you know, large reputable vendors that are widely used a uh, small utility is going to have no impact they're not going to be able to do anything regarding microsoft changing their practices uh, you could potentially look at some of the controls they offer you and what you can use um, you know their lockbox feature encryption capabilities and things of that nature but you know asking microsoft about their supply uh, their software development life cycle i mean that that's a meaningless exercise it's going to add no value to your your SIP 13 risk, risk assessment. So um, I just see this one size fits all approach, kind of generic approaches versus customizing it based on the circumstances, the nature of the vendor, the type of vendor. Um, you know, and I have not been as deeply involved as, in this as you have, Stacy. although I've, you know, bend your shoulder to cry on an occasion, as you know, as you've, you've lamented to me the challenges of this. And so, uh, and I've heard hues and cries coming from other parts of the industry, but uh, it just seems like we, we've, we've missed the script on this one, and we focused on compliance machinery versus what are we really trying to accomplish. You know, industry's kind of done this to themselves. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, and, and it's not the utility's fault at all on this. They'll, they'll do what they need to do to, to show, down, you know, compliance. But, you know, ultimately, NERC and, and the auditors have kind of pushed toward this, use this questionnaire, use this questionnaire, and it really has leaned towards that, that internal controls review versus what R1 says 
is that the risk assessment is to be used for the planning of the purchase and acquisition of products and services. And to me, when you're planning to do a purchase of products or services, the risk that I'm looking at is how am I going to use the product that I'm purchasing? Yes, the vendor's security controls are important, especially if I'm using remote access as one of my services, I'm going to want to look into their controls for remote access. But I don't necessarily need to know all the nitty gritty of their internal control environment um, that has nothing to do with what's being installed in my environment. Now, this is a supply chain risk, of course, so you want to make sure that they have good controls around their supply chain. I think those are appropriate questions. You know, how do you manage supply chain? And one question I never hear come up, even though it is in the NATF questions, um, it usually gets removed, is how do you manage the physical supply chain um, components, the distribution? What are your security controls around distribution of your products and the products that you're acquiring to build your whatever product that is? I don't hear much about that. And to me, that would be more important for supply chain than knowing, you know, how do you manage your internal access management on onboarding when you bring in new staff? Well, what does that matter? I mean, it matters to some extent, but it's really not a key review item, right? Um, I think some would argue, well, you know, background checks, they might have, you know, people that they need to make sure they have background checks because it could be, like you said, Chinese uh, nationals and they're trying to infiltrate, you know, the, the, their, their environment. But that's not really the focus. The focus is supply chain. So I, I think we just kind of need to tailor those, those um, assessments more specific to the planned purchase. What's it planned for? What am I doing? And then customize those set of either questions or, or evaluations, whatever I want to, you know. But you said something else interesting, Steve, is about do we trust the answers? Well, I can tell you right now, 90% of the responses I see coming back from questionnaires are coming from the sales staff, not coming from engineers. And you can see it in the answers. They're very poor. So, you know, good utilities will push back on that. Um, if they have a good, strong cybersecurity team that are reviewing the responses to questions, they'll challenge those. And, and as a uh, you know, a vendor ourselves that provides services, we get a lot of 13 questions, so we do have utilities challenging even our answers. But on the majority, what I'm seeing is acceptance of those, and often I'm seeing the questionnaires not even being assessed by cybersecurity experts. Sometimes, a lot of times it's the procurement department just looking at them and making their best guess. So that trust is, is, is interesting. Um, do I trust the salesperson at Cisco to provide me the right answer. I don't know. Maybe he's really smart or maybe he's getting that from somewhere else, but do I know that's true? I don't. You you mentioned something, Stacey, I wanted to bring up. Uh, you mentioned the, the planning and, and the requirement R1 does say planning for their procurement. Um, you think maybe that's what FERC was talking about and they're seeing the word planning and they're thinking that's the contracting phase as opposed to pulling the trigger for a specific purchase order or, you know, call up and ordering another relay, another network switch, another uh, workstation uh, on an existing existing contract. Well, if that was true, that would make this a lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> it, it would, potentially. 
potentially. I know you've you've, you've brought up a lot, a lot of points. Uh, you know, maybe we maybe went a little bit beyond the uh, you know the core point of what we're trying to talk about here. But obviously, SIP 13 is a big deal. It's causing a lot of grief in industry, and it really it's, it, it's an important topic. You know, I think we all recognize that supply chain risk is a very real thing that we need to be addressing. And I guess you know the 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 substance of our uh, lamentations here are that we're not really necessarily accomplishing what we set out to accomplish, and yet we're creating a lot of work and a lot of angst for people. Um, so I don't think we're trying to be dismissive of the risk or the need to address it. Uh, we're just recognizing that what we're doing isn't necessarily accomplishing what we want to accomplish. Um, with that, we should probably wrap this up. But I just want to give uh, both of you a chance for, for, for final thoughts. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be back with more discussion of supply chain. And maybe we'll really up the game and talk about internal controls for supply chain risk management. We'll get, we'll get double whammy on controversy here. But anyways, uh, uh, Leonard, I'll let you start. Uh, give me your final thoughts. Thanks for the opportunity to chat about this. Um, you know, as a former FERC staff, um, it, it's always uh, interesting to see uh, things that uh, were in progress in the planning phases while I was with the commission and, and uh, what's happened uh, with those efforts uh, following my departure. Um, supply chain started uh, while I was there, and so I was involved with some of those early discussions. Uh, that being said, um, closing thoughts, one thing I w want to, to uh, ping off of that both you and Stacy mentioned was um, you know foreign uh, countries, uh, specifically China, um, FERC in a roundabout way addressed that in their mitigations uh, suggestions to consider uh, as part of uh, SIP 13 and their lessons learned, uh, specifically 3B, Bravo, identify the makeup and provenance of the vendor's country and those of the principal members of the organization and board of directors noting any misalignment with organizational interests and consider contract language provisions to address any identified risks. So that's... Um, you know, again, there's nothing in the standard, the requirement language that says anything about, you know, nationality or geopolitics or anything of that nature. So it's um, interesting that they uh, specifically called that out uh, in their report. Um, and for those of you watching, if you haven't uh, read this Lessons Learned report, uh, it's a very good read. doesn't cover just SIP 13. covers SIP 2, 3, uh, a number of the NERC SIP standards. Um, and everybody's always wondering what, what FERC is going to do next. I think uh, this Lessons Learned, which contains observations by FERC staff directly participating in audits in the industry, is a very good indication of uh, where you might see some future revisions to the standards. So check it out if you haven't. Over to you, Stacy. Great. Thanks, Leonard. I think those are really great points. Uh, you know, my, my final words is, you know, don't overcomplicate your SIP 13 uh, plan right now. I, I, even though it's been out for a while, um, there's still a number of utilities just getting up to speed on it. Um, the auditors are getting up to speed on it. I've been through a number of audits, uh, and the questions are still confusing. It seems like industry um, from the enforcement side is still trying to figure out where they can go with this. And so, you know, I think there's still a maturity coming on SIP 13, obviously. Uh, but as far as, you know, committing your organization to more than's really required, be careful with that because that could get you in trouble the long run. So, um, you know, think about it. Try to tailor it down to something more simple as, as best you can. 
I know you know regional entities have different approaches and different audit uh, expectations, so you got to listen to your regional entities. But you know, try to try to tailor it down to the you know something that's reasonable right now that makes sense, but doesn't overcommit your organization. I, I really um, can't stress that more. I mean, be watchful of trying to apply SIP 13 to every acquisition. Um, I think that is. Uh, maybe a little bit overkill, maybe have a separate program that's not saying it's SIP 13, that's doing something similar, but uh, really think about, um, you know, what, what you're trying to achieve. And the objectives are important still, regardless of anything, the, the objectives of supply chain security are a, a good mission. And you should really be thinking about that and how to do it. So try to approach it from that perspective as we're starting off a program, we're, we're not sure where we're going, minimize it not minimize the regulatory requirements but minimize your commitments to what's expected and that's 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 what i gotta say all right thank you stacy leonard uh, pre appreciate the discussion and uh if anyone out there has questions about sip 13 or like assistance with sip 13 or would just like a shoulder to cry on with respect to sip 13 feel free to give us a call and we hope to see you on a future edition of direct connect thank you take care everyone thank you not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at ArcherU. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, you can head on over to our website at archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, and at Archer SEC on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes of Direct Connect.